Hello, my name is Dr. Cassandra Scott, and I am currently a professor at Alabama A&M University, and you are listening to Rebuke. Hello, you guys. This is Sandra Rice. I'm a medical assistant here in Huntsville, and you are listening to Rebuke. My name is Jeanette Robertson. I am an ambassador for Alabama Nonviolent Offender Organization, and you are listening to Rebuke. Hey, everyone, this is Marcus, the realest man in Huntsville, and you're now listening to Rebuke. Today marks our 15th episode, and we have a great topic to discuss. Once again, I want to give thanks to my um, followers for listening, sharing, and donating towards my podcast. I truly appreciate that. I ask you to continue to continue to do that for me and spread the word about the podcast. And one thing is, if you want to donate, and help out my podcast, please go to Cash App and and the dollar sign rebuke R E B U K E E zero six. That is again the dollar sign rebuke R E B U K E E zero six. And so so you can donate for the cause. Now I'm gonna read some facts, some stats uh regarding our topic and then I'm gonna give you the title of uh of this uh topic that is very important. Um, Black women experience uh, intimate partner violence at higher rates than all women nationwide. More than two-fifths, which is four out of ten Black women, experience physical violence by their intimate partner during their lifetimes, compared to only 31.5% of all women. Instead of Black women getting the access and resources they need, care, safety, most black women who are victims of sexual violence are often funneled into the criminal justice system. Black women on equal access to quality, affordable health care and heightened vulnerability to poverty are factors that may exuberate the negative impacts of des- domestic violence on their health and well-being. And lastly, black women who, whose abuser, abusers are also black are reluctant to report their abuse due to the unjust treatment of black men in the criminal justice system. Uh, folks, uh, if you don't know by now the topic we're going to discuss, you should, after those stats, I asked one of the, I have three guests here on the show today, Dr. Scott, uh, Ms. Roberson, and uh, Ms. Rice, and uh, and there, there are survivors of domestic violence. Before I, uh, I go into the, the title, I also I wanted to know if should I wait it to October? I think October is uh, uh, Domestic Violence Month to do this topic. And then one of the women told me that um, we need to do it now because by the time by the time you do it in October, some woman might be killed. So. 
that's coming from one of the women that's about to ex- uh, expound on their testimonies today. So the title of this topic is uh, Stop Hurting Me, Hurting and Killing Me, Black Women and Domestic Violence. Once again, I thank you, Dr. Scott, uh, Ms. Roberson, and Ms. Rice for being on the show today. And um, I'm going to go straight into it. And we have Dr. Scott on the show. She's going to be our subject matter expert because she worked at a facility that helps women with these type of issues. So the first question for you, uh, Dr. Scott, is what is the professional definition of domestic violence? So thank you for having me, Marcus, and thank you for asking. So the definition of uh, domestic violence is actually very broad, and it has different meanings because it either has meanings for programs, services, to uh, to see whether people are able to receive the service or to see whether an actual crime can be charged. So under the, the Violence Against Women Act, Domestic violence is a felony or misdemeanor crime of violence committed by a current or former spouse or intimate partner of the victim, by a person with whom the victim shares a child in common, by a person who is cohabiting with or has cohabited with the victim as a spouse or intimate partner, by a person similarly situated to a spouse of the victim under the domestic or family violence laws of the jurisdiction, receiving grant monies, or by any other person against an adult or youth victim who is protected from that person's act under the domestic or family violence laws. Now that's so that we can qualify people to receive services. In terms of the legal part of it, intimate partner violence includes a pattern of abusive behavior in a relationship that is used by one partner to exert control over another intimate partner. And that can take the forms of physical, sexual, emotional, economic, and or physiological abuse, as well as stalking and cyber stalking. Thank you, Dr. Scott, for that beautiful definition. Um, We're going to go ahead and this is a heavy topic, folks. So I'm going to go ahead and go straight to it. Like I said, I have three guests on the show and all of them are survivors, survivors of domestic violence. So Miss Rice, um, if you can please briefly explain domestic violence, just like um, Dr. Scott has explained to you, explain the physical and emotional scars you endured as a domestic violence survivor what was your breaking point and what was the long lasting side effects it had on you and your family? So Miss Rice, can you go first? Miss Roberson, after she finishes, you go after her and Dr. Scott, I, I want you from a subject matter expert and a survivor to come last. Miss Rice. Hey, Marcus, thank you so much for having us on the show today. I really appreciate it. Um, This is definitely something that needs to be told. Um, Again, hello, everyone. I'm Sandra. I am a survivor of domestic violence. I was physically abused by the father of my children. Um, My breaking point was, essentially, it was the look on my kids' faces the final time he placed his hands on me. Um, And I endured 
so much, uh, physically and emotionally. Um, the final time he placed his hands on me, I, it started from the time he walked through the front door all the way out the back door. He choked me, pinned me against the wall, punched me in my face as hard as he could. Um, I managed to break free and attempted to run out the back. He then grabbed me by my shirt, slung me to the ground, and proceeded to stomp me, kick me, punch me. I mean, he was really, really going in on me. And at that moment, I thought, this is it. This is how I'm going to die. He is going to beat me to death in front of my children. Now, I honestly got lucky because at the hour this occurred, um, there's usually never anyone in our neighborhood, you know, outside kind of, you know, just lingering around or about. Um, a neighbor and a couple of people she was with happened to be walking by and they immediately yell, stop, get off of her. We're calling the police. Um, that simple intervention, you know, those words just snapped him out of this trance he was in and he stopped. But then he turned and began to argue with them. So he stops attacking me to argue with them. Um, I then get up, I run inside, I'm swelling, I'm bloody, my clothing is torn off of me. And as I walk in, I see my children just standing there. And the looks on their faces were just, it was just so indescribable. Um, I knew at that moment, I, I couldn't give myself any other option than to get out of this relationship. Now, it really does suck that it took something of that extent, but that's what happened. Thank you, Ms. Rice, for your, your testimony. Um, Ms. Roberson, um, you could now proceed with yours. Yes, Marcus, thank you for having me. Um, I had my first child when I was very young. I got married at 16 years old. Um, my husband and I, we actually went to the same high school. We actually had a class together. We were only a couple of years apart. A few months into the marriage is when the physical abuse began. And it was shocking to me the first time that he hit me. Um, after that first incident, several incidents happened after that. Um, he was chasing me with a knife and the knife nicked me on my left wrist and I have a small scar there to remind me of that. He actually put me out of the car on a dark winding road with no street lights. And I was wondering to myself each time a car passed with the headlights shining, is this going to be the next car that hits me? Um, I was in the car with one of my very good friends and he tried to cut my throat. And when he reached over to try to cut me, my friend put his arm 
in the way and he actually cut my friend's arm injuring him severely um all my hair came out on one side i was hospitalized he actually got into the hospital into my room and tried to pull my iv out of my arm i ended up in a safe place battered home for um a home for battered women excuse me um for a few weeks However, I feel like my breaking point was when he held me down on the floor with one hand and had a gun in the other hand and shot at my head. Well, the bullet went past my ear and into the floor. During this time, while all these things were going on, we had another child, we had a son. And I felt like by me having another child that things would actually get better. I dropped out of school in the 12th grade because he and I were involved in some <laughs> illegal activities, which eventually put um, him in prison. So while he was in prison, I took advantage of that and I divorced him. Um. I'm not sure how long after he got out of prison that um, he, he was killed. So, you know, having a child at 15, getting married at 16, I would advise, you know, young ladies of that age, you shouldn't be getting married. Uh, you should be thinking about prom thinking about makeup and, and things of that nature. So that particular relationship, that particular marriage, it, it took a toll on me for quite some time. Thank you, Ms. Roberson. And uh, finally, um, our subject matter expert and, and a survivor, Dr. Scott, can you Tell us your testimony and how you are a survivor and able to be a strong woman to 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 talk uh, to live out your testimony. Yes, thank you, Marcus. Again, first I want to say that one of the misnomers, the, the people that don't understand why women stay in domestic violence situations. Mm -hmm. It's because we're in love. We have fallen in love with somebody and the commitment of love is stronger than any emotion on the planet. Over and over these, these men, they are very charming, very loving. They can be just wonderful people until they flip into this cycle of violence. So I fell in love with my husband head over heels. I, I had three children when we married and he was just wonderful. He came in and he was like my knight in shining armor. I remember one day him telling me, you know, I wish I could take you and lock you up in a cage in the basement and don't have to share you with anybody. And I just thought, wow, how can somebody love me this much? What I didn't realize is that it was control. So I 
thought that this man isolated me from my relatives and kept me to himself because he loved me so much. But the truth was, was he was trying to control me. And by this time, I was into the cycle of abuse so much that my self-esteem was so low that I believed the things that he said about me. I was in this marriage for 18 years and literally just about every single holiday we had a fight. And they were over petty stuff, over the children, the house, money. It didn't make a difference. He wasn't drinking or drugging or anything like that. He just had an evil temper and he was a bully. And I know a lot of people say that it's uh, anger management. No, these men can manage their anger when another man is facing them. They're not going to jump on him. This is bullying. And when you jump on children and women, that's a bully. So he did this for all these years. And then one day, my two sons that were almost teenagers at this time had ridden their bicycles across town. And when they came home, he decided that their behavior was so dangerous, he was going to beat them. And I said, oh, no, you're not going to beat them today. So he was standing at the top of the steps and took his belt off. And I went up to him and we just started fighting up and down the steps. And the children were standing around at the bottom of the steps. And we tussled and we tussled. And finally, I got the belt away from him. And I told the children, just grab your things. We're leaving. And we took everything that we could grab our hands on, got in the van and left. I had no place to go because I had eight children by this time and six of them were were boys and they were older and we couldn't stay in a shelter. And by this time, over 18 years of marriage, I had burnt all of my bridges with my family and friends. And I was a secretary for the church, so I had the keys to the church. So we went to the church and laid down on the basement, on the floor in the basement. And we stayed there overnight while I prayed to ask God for direction and for to protect me as I made these decisions to get get out of this marriage. Now, my husband had already told me if I left him, he was going to come and kill me. So I was terrified to leave and terrified to stay. But by this, by the next morning, I woke up. I just invaded my sister's house and said, no matter whether you put us out or what, we're going to stay with you because I have to get away from this man. And that began my journey to freedom. Ladies, uh, thank you for your testimonies. Um, is your testimonies are very hard to listen to as a man because um, I come from a uh, two parent household and I didn't see none of that from my father. You get what I'm saying? So just he to hear that men are out there just bullying and abusing and verbally abusing women just for the just for just ego and power is 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 very alarming but i don't want to go off go off my emotions i want to this so the show is is about about women that that have endured and survived what y'all have gone through now you said something i'm going to ask you dr scott you said something since you started you ended i'm going to let you start and then go with with um, Miss Rice and Miss Roberson, I always believe, for me, that a man usually show his true colors long before he decides to get showed uh, before he gets in a serious relationship. 
and basically what I heard from y'all, you all testimony, that is not the case. Is that true that a man usually shows his true colors, that he's abusive way before y'all get serious or they're very like Michael Jackson, smooth criminals with it? Go ahead. Well, I think it, it just depends on the man. For a lot of men who are abusive, they do it because of their addiction, drinking and drugging. Those those go hand in hand. But in general, I think that there are men who are just they are so controlling that and they want things to go their way. And they have been taught and socialized by society to say, if somebody doesn't do what you want them to do, just go ahead and hit them, whether they're your children or your your spouse or even friends. I mean, nowadays, friends fight as much as anybody else. And back in my day, we didn't fight our friends. We, we fought other people, but we didn't fight our friends. But today, society says, if you get angry and somebody doesn't do what you want them to do, go ahead and fight. And I think it's cultural. I think it's historic in the black race. And we just have never uh, dealt with this. I think the, that women, we there may have been signs, but those are usually, like I said, I thought they were signs that I, this is the man that for me, because he loved me so much. But I so they may have been signs. I either chose to, to look over them or I didn't see them as signs. But I think that most abusers are so slick with knowing what they want. They actually seek out women who can be dominated. They're actually it's like a moth coming to a flame. It's just a part of their nature, and they pick women who are easier to conquer. Mm, 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 Miss mm, mm. Rice, what you say about that question? Do, do, do you believe that most the men uh, that uh, uh, abusers show their true colors way before then, or it usually happens? That's not true, and it usually happens when the relationship is, is further along. Go ahead. You know, that really is a, a very good question. Um, simply because when you're on the outside looking in, Marcus, it's so easy to determine she had to have known this prior to marrying him or getting engaged or moving in. Um, truth is, when anyone is seeking another person for, you know, um, a companion, you know, to establish this companionship, you don't really see those true colors because they're not exactly showing you. And like Dr. Scott mentioned, you know, there may have been some signs, but also those signs can be very common in almost every single relationship. So you just kind of brush it off. So you don't think anything of it. But these guys are also master manipulators. They are very good at hiding who they truly are. Um, so no, you won't necessarily see these signs up front because it's not like we're just purposely searching for someone who's going to control us and abuse us. The average woman is out there looking for someone who's a provider, who's stable, not just financially, but emotionally. And those are usually the things that a man would give a woman starting off. So you don't notice those things up front because they're not revealing them to you. You don't notice these things until later. It was years into my marriage when I realized that the father of my children was, you know, a physical man and he did come from a, an abusive background. You know, his mother was abusive. His father 
was an alcoholic. Um, the two of them weren't exactly together all the time. So it was, that may have played a part in, you know, his mentality, but no, it wasn't something that he revealed to me up front. Um, so as I said, yeah, I, I completely disagree with that because like I said, a lot of people think they can tell right away that this is what happened or this is how this person is going to be. And the truth is no, you don't know what someone is until you are living with them. Okay. I, okay. I respect that. Um, I would, Ms. Roberson, I would allow you to add your two cents on there, but I want to go to the next question. So you're going to be the first one to ask this one, answer this one. Do you think a lot of black women that entertain abusive men, the reason why is because they come from abusive backgrounds growing up? Ms. Roberson. Yes, sir. Um, We know that that's wrong. Um, however, we see our mothers, our aunts, you know, different women in our family that, like you said, in, entertain these men, you know, within these abusive relationships. And we feel like we can change them. You know, we see the women in our family somewhat changing these men. Well, we think they are changing these men. However, when they come around the family, they don't seem abusive. They're not acting in, a, in any type of abusive way. And we feel like, oh, okay, well, maybe they can be changed. But when they get home, the abuse starts all over again. So I do feel like that that, that may be part of it. Absolutely. All right. All right. Um, Dr. Scott, I, I, I really want to get your two cents in because me and you had a little sidebar a week or so ago and you you hit some key points about this this question here i'm going to read it again and i'm allow you to, to to expound on it do you think a lot of black women that entertain abusive men is the reason because they come from abusive backgrounds uh homes growing up can you can can you give me those those those, those few uh, gems you gave me last week well i hope so well and i do i do agree that most this is a part of black culture I think that most black women have been sensitized towards violence. So whether it's receiving whippings from their fathers, uh, fighting their brothers and sisters growing up, whippings from their mothers, I think this is something that happens in the black home. So once you have been hit by a man for any reason, when another man hits you, it's not so shocking to you. This is what they do. And then when you when you're around your friends and you hear about their abuse that's going on in their homes and you see it everywhere, especially even in the churches that support this kind of 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 actions and stuff. Abuse doesn't just happen by from like low class, poor, addicted men, judges, police officers, doctors, all kind of people, all kind of men are abusive. So it hasn't any got anything to do with your intelligence or your social economic status or anything like that. But if women have been taught that it's okay for men to hit them, I remember my pastor teaching it from the pulpit. He said it's a poor watch that can't take a licking and keep on ticking. And he was talking about a woman being able to tolerate domestic violence in her home. Mm. Not one woman got up out of that service and walked out. 
not one, because that's how we've been socialized. That divorce is wrong. God made you strong. You can survive this. And love covers everything. Mm, see, see, that's why I asked you, Dr. Scott, because you touched on a key point and maybe y'all can add, uh uh, Miss Rice and Miss uh, Roberson, do you all be- add, add to that? Do you all believe religion and within the black culture uh, kind of covers or covers domestic violence or gives not giving black women a, a leeway to get out of domestic violence? Uh, Miss Rice, what you think? You think the religion in our, our culture is like stay in this uh, this violent relationship? Although I'm about to die, but stay in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny you asked that question because religion is precisely why I tolerated what I did for years. Um, you know, my ex-husband was a quote unquote good Christian man, you know, mm-hmm. came from a religious family. And, you know, my grandmother also was very religious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just to clarify, it's not like I tolerated this and never made an attempt to leave because I have, I mean, I can probably count on both hands and both feet the number of times I tried to leave this man to try to get out of this, you know, madness and break this cycle. Mm-hmm. And I was always encouraged to take him back, go back home, go back home. My mom would let me stay for her maybe a day or so. And then she'd be like, you know, you need to go back home. And my grandmother was very pushy about it. You need to go home. That's your man. You always stay by your man no matter what. You said for better or for worse, you have to stay with him. And she would, you know, and her way of like teaching me this was was saying things like, well, your grandfather did a number of things that hurt me and I never left his side ever. I never left his side. Mm-hmm. So naturally I started thinking, okay, she's right. You know, I did take the vows. You know, he's hit me. He's bruised me. You know, I, I've even suffered, um, you know, broken bones, bruises, black eyes. I had to have facial reconstruction mm. because I suffered a blowout fracture in my left orbit. That means my eye socket was completely shattered mm. and my eye was literally sinking into my head. Mm. I couldn't look up. I couldn't look down. It was just a really horrible experience. That was also the time that he hit, you know, the final time he put his hands on me. Um, but back to your point, um, to your question. Yeah, he re- religion definitely played a part in it. And, it. and I think it does culturally. I really do think that religion plays a huge factor in this because people are so they're so God fearing that they lose their logic. Mm-hmm. We're, we're still supposed to have common knowledge. We're still supposed to be logical. Our people fear God to the point that they lose all logic sometimes in certain situations mm-hmm. so it was like it doesn't matter that this man was going to some that someday kill me it didn't matter that you know he could possibly beat me to death mm-hmm. it didn't matter that he wasn't being a better man around the house as he was supposed to all that mattered was that i took him back and held my family together it was never uh an instruction of you two need to work together on this it was always you're the woman. You're supposed to get this house together. You're supposed to keep your man. You're supposed to satisfy him. Mm-hmm. And he always got a pass, even from my family. He always got a pass. And it was definitely because of religion. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. You say the mouthful of Miss Rice. Uh, uh, it, before I go to the next question, uh, Miss Roberson, you got anything to add? 
um, I think that religion does have a part to play in that. Um, like she said, back when our grandmothers, you know, were, were married, they, they harped on that a lot. Um, because in some instances, you will have the pastors that are actually being abusive to their wives. Mm-hmm. However, you are the pastor, you are the wife. Suck it up. Mm-hmm. That's right. Wow. Um, well, that's tough. So let me go ahead and go to the next question. Um, I'm going to read in the Time article. I believe this Time article is dated 2014 or 17. I don't. I don't know. They say the reason why black women suffer suffer disproportionately from abuse is very complex. Racism and sexism are the two biggest obstacles that black women face in America. Because because of it, black women and black women believe that racism is the big is bigger is a bigger issue than sexism. And black women tend to feel obligated to put their racial issues ahead of sexual base issues for black women, a strong sense of cultural affinity and loyalty to community is more important. Now, law y'all stayed in y'all relationships for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, do you believe that th- I'm just going off this question? Do you believe the reason why black women are very slow to report domestic violence is because of loyalty Miss Roberson, then Miss Rice, and then put the last nail in the coffin, Dr. Scott, Miss Roberson. Yes, I think um, a part of that is we are ashamed. We don't want our friends and family to know. Um, We don't want to report for fear of our children uh, maybe being taken away. Um, we don't report because you try to leave. He comes find he comes to find you and brings you back, and the abuse is even worse than before you left. And then on the other hand, because we are black women, do the authorities really care about us? It's just another black man being abusive to a black woman. So do do they really care? Mm. Mm. Okay, okay. I hear you. Ms. Rice? I so agree with Ms. Roberson. Um, as, as, as far as loyalty goes, yes, we, we are so loyal that we're, we're willing to tolerate, you know, a lot of this insanity. Um, we want to report, we want to come forward, but... Oftentimes we're told not to. And sometimes it's, it's our own choosing. We think, do I really want to go through with this hassle? Do I want to put him through this? Yeah, he's put me through some hurt. Do I really want to put him through this, you know, possible time in prison? Do I want to do this to my children? Do I want their father to be taken away from them? So, yeah, loyalty does play a huge factor in that. Um, because no matter what he's done, at the end of the day, you're still thinking, how can I keep my family going? You know, and it sucks that you you have to ignore such a factor just to put your family first. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, 
aside from um, from that, yeah, racism is a problem as well, because like Ms. Roberson said, do the authorities really care? Because I know there have been multiple times where they were called not just by me, but by, you know, onlookers or what have you. And every officer that showed up was a white male. You know, there were either two of them or there were three or four, however many they choose to send out. And they were rude. They didn't want to be there. And I get that they have a tough job. They experience these types of calls all the time. I get that. But I still believe if you choose a job, knowing what to expect going in there, then you should know that you treat everyone the same. And I do not believe that I was treated properly by any of the white officers that came out. You know, I was always looked at as maybe I did something wrong, you know, and, I, and, I, and it, it always just floored me. And that's why we, we just stopped going forward. We stopped coming forward because it's like, who really cares? Our families are encouraging us to stay with these men. The police won't do anything. So, yeah, I'm stuck in this relationship. But aside from loyalty, aside from racism, one common factor as to why women stick around in these situations is because of the financial instability that they are in. Because I know with my situation, it's easy to say, why don't you just leave? Okay, where am I going to go? My family keeps telling me to come back. I don't have enough money. Yeah, I'm I'm a full-time employee, but I don't have enough money to live on my own. So where am I going to go? Mm. So, so we think, that, and that's where we go back to the, the case of being loyal. I may as well just tough this out because I do still love him. He is still the father of my children. He is helping me pay the bills. Maybe one day he will change. We're going to church. We're praying. Maybe one day God will deliver me from this, you know. Um, so we go back. Mm. Mm. Now, last but not least, the former executive director at the Salvation Army and Women's Survival Center and professor at Alabama A&M. Dr. Scott, can you end this question? Yes, and thanks again for asking this. There are many, many reasons, a spectrum of reasons why women stay or don't report. Fear, shame, Um, economic reasons, retaliation. One of the most lethal times ever in a woman's life is when she decides to actually leave or when she actually is able to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, It is the deadliest time and it's the most confusing time because we do have these feelings of loyalty and love. I did not want to see my husband go to prison. I didn't want that for him. I love this man. I did not want to see him lose rights to his children. I didn't want to see him go into court. I didn't want to take the chance of having my children taken away from me. And I called the police on my husband and they charged me with with child abuse just like they charged him. So I didn't know the consequences. And the truth of it is, in this society, we don't have a good response to domestic violence. We don't have something that works for women, especially if you have children, male children, teenage children, or a lot of children. Most women don't have the economic resources to be able to go somewhere. Even like like, um, Jeanette said, when when she went to the hospital, her husband could find her there. I had a, a friend whose husband was a psychiatrist. He he hit her so hard one time, he knocked her through the wall. 
this man was able to use his credentials and find her in what we call a safe house. So no, women have, we go out, we get restraining orders and they're not honored and nobody cares. They're, we just don't have enough recourse. This society has not protected black women particularly, but women in general from domestic violence. That's mm. correct. All right. Uh, thank you for your responses, but we have one more question to, to top this, this show off. Y'all, based on what y'all have said, y'all have about over, I'd say over 20 plus years of surviving domestic violence, verbally and physically. And y'all here today doing very well for yourselves and, you know, and being a positive uh, uh, light for black women. The last question. What advice you have to give to black women and men when it comes down to domestic violence and how to stop it? Now, I don't know. I'm going to start. I'm going to Miss Roberson. Can you can you go first and then I'm going to have Dr. Scott go second and then I'm going to have Miss Rice go last. Ms. Roberson. Yes, sir. Um, for the women out there, do not hide the abuse. Do what you have to do to protect yourselves by any means necessary. Talk to someone that you trust. If you do see any small sign, do not ignore the sign. And know that within this abuse, just know it is never and I mean, never your fault. And sometimes we, we feel like that, but it is never your fault. And for the men out there, treat a woman like you would want someone to treat your daughter, your mother, or your sister. All right. Dr. Scott. Hit us with some gems for the black women and black men about domestic violence and what they need to do. Well, I think for the women, you you have actually got to learn to love yourself and love your children more than you love that man. And that's a hard thing to do, especially after you've been in a cycle of violence. You've got to realize that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You can't see it today. When I was in, in hiding in closets and, and, and doing everything to try to survive, I never thought that I would get to a point where I could get, a, get my doctorate degree, live on my own, have my own money, make my own decisions. I never thought I could have this kind of a life. But there is a life after domestic violence if you're willing to do what it takes to love yourself and to reach out to the help that's available to you. And for the men, I would say this. There, there's got to be some kind of um, self-loathing that you're going through. If you told somebody that you love them, you love them more than anybody on the planet, and yet you could hit that person and watch them bleed, you could kick them, you could cut them, you could pull a gun on them, there's something wrong. You have to be hurt and lonely and embarrassed and ashamed. You've got to be filled with regret. 
But I want you to know that there is nothing that you can do. There's no depravity on this earth known to man that you can't get over this. There is help out there for you if you want it. It is your choice. No matter the worst that you can do, if that woman has already said she loves you, she can forgive you, but you need to change. And it has to be a choice. And I suggest that you make that choice before your life is ends up in a consequence that's irreversible. Ooh, okay. <laughs> oh, Dr. Scott. And last but not least, Ms. Rice, give us advice for the black women and the black men regarding domestic violence and what they should do. Thank you. Well, Dr. Scott and, and, and Ms. Robeson pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, they pretty much said everything I, you know, would definitely say to women who are in the situation that we were in. So I'm just going to simply add to what they had to say that you are so much stronger. My sisters, you are so much stronger than you know. Utilize that willpower. It's hard, but you can do it. Because I, I can guarantee you it can't be any harder than remaining in the situation that you're in. You're strong. Um, to the black men out there, let me first tell you, establishing a good mental health is normal. Seek counseling. Go see a therapist for, the, for whatever inner issues you have going on before getting into a woman's life. It is okay for a black man to seek counseling. It is normal to do so. There's nothing to be ashamed of, absolutely nothing. And I guarantee you, you will not only gain some insight, but you will feel better about maybe who you are. You can maybe come to terms with whatever it is you're going through. And lastly, I also wanna add something to the families of these victims. You have got to stop encouraging your loved ones to take these men back if they are unstable. You have to stop that. At some point, you're going to have to put your religion aside. You're going to have to put your pride aside. You're going to have to put your lack of wanting to get involved aside. Get involved. That's what family is here for. Don't generate this large family just to have the women grow up and become victims in these types of situations. Get them some help or be, simply be their help. Do something for them to help them get out of this situation. Because it's hard for a woman to get out of this situation on her own. Is it possible? Yes. But it is extremely hard. And sometimes we need that backup. Don't tell her that's your man. Because it doesn't matter. Toxicity is found in any form of any person. Stop encouraging these women to take these men back because that's their man. Because at some point, she may end up losing her life because she felt like she had no one there to protect her. Woo-wee. Uh, ladies, I thank you for your testimonies and your, 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 your answers to these questions. And I'm not going to add... That nothing, add nothing to that. I'm just going to say a few things. Um, I'm currently in Huntsville, Alabama. So any woman or man 
there's uh facing domestic violence you can go to crisis service service of north alabama and the number is 256-716-1000 that is 256-716-1000 and that is the crisis service of north alabama for the people that are listening uh from florida to new york even alaska and all the way to germany and mexico um the the national resource the national domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-7233 that is and the website is www.thehotline.org that once again that's www.thehotline.org and uh, I'm going to end the show. I'm, I'm going to say one thing and then I'm in the show. Um, this is, st- I don't have nothing to say to the women because uh, the, these three uh, educated, intelligent women have already said enough. But to the men, uh, these are our queens. Um, and if we don't take care of our queens, nobody will. And these are, oh, these are our, uh, um, uh, but women that gave birth, birth to our our sons, our daughters, our nieces and nephews. So, like Ms. Rice said, it's okay to get therapy. It's okay to get help, and do not engage in a relationship if you don't you don't have help yourself. So, get therapy, and and remember, these are our our queens here. This is not trash you throw on the side of the curb. These are our, our, the women that give birth to our nation. Yes. Now, so I'm in the show here. And my, before I end the show, I always say my famous, my, my favorite slogan, knowledge is power. Economic freedom is salvation. But if you put those two together, we can all build a great nation. Thank you. And Marcus Jones for rebuke. And we are out. <laughs>